Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Good morning. Before we read our text and begin the message, and I, I'd really like to wait until everybody got back in here. Um, I have some, I guess you would say, up-to-date news that I don't think any of you are aware of. I thought I had it written down here just so I'd get it right, but I, I don't know what, ah, that didn't. This coming week, we're going to need a little help on Wednesday evening for about, about say, 5 o'clock for probably an hour. We need to take down some several flags on the lower end of the parking lot and bring them in here because they'll steal them if we don't. And uh, because we're getting ready to put, to paint an American flag, it's 100 by 60 on the bank up here with the stars and stripes and so on for the next 4th of July weekend. And uh, we need some help getting that ready. We will also need to mow it down real close so that the paint will be uh, good to, when we paint it on there because we'll do most of the painting will be done probably Thursday. So we need to get it done Wednesday evening if we can. And, uh, and you want to be here early for the service next weekend because the first 10 minutes is all a patriotic presentation and uh, the kids in particular need to hear it because some of them have never really heard the good stuff that we grew up with and uh, so it'll be important that you be in that you have gotten your coffee and your donuts and all that other stuff uh, that makes your belly hang over your belt and and come in here and and participate in that opening because it we we think it's good and we think you'll enjoy it um, then i've had there's uh information that have come to me patrick called me from uh, kampala uganda this past week we talked for probably an hour because some of you may know that on the western boundary of the country which butts up against the Congo is that some uh, Islamic militants crossed the border and attacked a school and killed a lot of the kids actually it was 
worse than just killing. It was machetes that they, that they just chopped up these youngsters with, and it was really awful. About 42 were killed, and seven or eight were taken captive. The, the government of Uganda's military are U.S. trained. One of my good friends uh, had, was there for, I think, 18 months in, the, in training their military. They took off, they, the military took off after the militants who had already crossed back into the Congolese border. They went, they crossed the border and went after him. So far, they've captured a few of them and killed two of them that we know about. They'll take no prisoners. They'll, they'll kill them just as soon as they find them, probably. Uh, these are really bad thugs. That's really what they are. They're thugs. It's the same type of mentality that took place nearly 30 years ago in Rwanda. But Patrick and Eddie and the work that we do there is about 250 miles away and, and, and as safe, probably as safe as it would be here in Portsmouth. But there on the border, it was an insertion that uh, that uh, is tragic. I can't pronounce the names or I'd tell you where they were. I haven't written down, but I can't pronounce them. They're, they're uh, too African-oriented for me to do that. Now, the good news. I think you'll agree that it's good news. They have chosen, Patrick and Eddie in particular, have chosen to delay the uh, opening of the church and the school until because they're in the process now of, of building the Sunday school building, which will be used all week long for the freshman class in high school. And this, that area, that district, is really excited about having a quality high school. And uh, as a result of that, the word has gotten out, and they have said, we're going to delay the opening until the building is complete and, and uh, the construction is complete, at least for the first year of high school, and uh, we still have to put the uh, tile flooring down in the church building that is complete. And the reason they've delayed it is more than one. The vice president of the country and his wife have said, if, you do, if you'll do that, we would like to be present for the, uh, for the dedication of the building. That's no little thing. And, what, and to cap it off, the president's wife, the first lady of the country, said, if I can clear my schedule, I would like to be there too. We're talking about a major, major thing about the opening of that church, the dedication and the opening of that church in that country. And, um, and so Uncle Alex, who we rely on for guidance, has said, we best wait, and then the city the city of the district officials. Now these officials, at one time, were the were tribal leaders. Today they're elected officials. The local elected official said, if the vice president and his wife are coming, and if the first lady comes, we would like to contribute a marching band to lead the entourage from the middle of town all the way to the church building. We're talking about probably two or 3,000 people. And these are folks, most of whom do not know Christ, but are excited about the Lord bringing that to their community. Uncle Alex Metalla says, 
That's never happened in the 50 years that he's been planting churches in Uganda. And then he said at the end of it, at the end of the conversation on the phone, they said, and who's going to represent the mother church when we have the dedication because they're supposed to be riding with the vice president and the first lady. Now, I'm broke. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just kidding you. But we do want to have a representation. I know I, I can already tell you that Norman Becky will probably be going. I hope that Matthew and, and his wife can go that because they've never been and they need to see that. I'm not certain that Alice Kay and I, for health reasons and other reasons, will be able to go. But uh, this has turned into a major thing, and they, they have requested that there be uh, a representation, whatever number it happens to be, from the Mother Church, and that's us. So that's that's the information I got this week. So we're, we're, we're projecting. I asked them, I said, can you project a possible date and they said it'll be after the first of the year before the building is done and the grounds are prepared to handle it so we're looking at probably the middle of january to the middle of february sometime next year so you can start saving your pennies now the the, the bad news is that the, the airline costs have really gone up i used to be able to go for nine hundred dollars round trip if if we bought your tickets at the right time that's that's doubled now and so you need to know that and um, and the and we stay in in decent hotels where the, we know that the food and the water is good and people will be safe so uh, and and the hotel costs there are not much different than the hotel costs here it's a little cheaper but not a whole lot their food is excellent and safe but uh, if you want to think about that, you need to get your passport done well ahead of time because last-minute passports can be difficult. Uh, but that, that's the, up in the, the best news I got and I wanted to pass on to you because uh, it, Mr. Metalla, who is our representative there and a, and a world-known church planter, says that all his years of planting church, he's never seen a whole country get excited about a new church and a new high school in their country. So that's the good news. So thank you all. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's really good stuff because that isn't something we'd planned or manipulated. That's something the Lord has seen fit to do. And uh, all we can really do is celebrate it and thank him. Now, the text today is a, I'm going to move through this rather rapidly in order to get to the end of it because this really has to do uh, with the Ten Commandments and in the Old Testament they were uh, everything that our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution are for us, it was for Israel. The big problem that they had in that day was not worship. The big problem was, who do you worship? Because idolatry was broad-based. Now, if you have your sermon outline in front of you, there's a, I'll teach you a new word. And, and, and I'll do the best I can to kind of define it in light of what the Scripture really says. 
the word really is the word worship. <clears throat> that is an uh, English background is worship. It's uh, worth instead of were worship, but that's the translation <clears throat> of a Greek word proskuneo. You. And proskuneo is two different words put together. Pros is where we get our word pro for professional. It means they've had a lot of training and things ahead of time. And the kineo means to kiss. The closest thing that we would have to that as far as a literal meaning would be is throwing a kiss. It's, it literally is translated kiss toward, like throwing a kiss to your sweetheart across the room. is. Uh, is something most of us have done in one way or the other in times past. Now, so worship, as it was meant there, was is a lot more than gathering in one place at one time for one people, even though it includes that. It really means allegiance and affection toward the object of your worship, in this case, the true and the living God. And so it, it, it means something that is 24-7 and not just an hour or two a week. Even though it includes the hour or two a week, which we'll mention later on, that's in the book of Hebrews. <clears throat> so it's raining. Thank God, we need rain. Let it come. You know, be grateful for the rain. Uh, and see, we waited till after church started. You understand? Trying to help you out here a little bit. And it'll quit before we get out, so don't worry about it. We got that fixed. All right. <clears throat> now, in the day and age where the Ten Commandments were given... All countries had their own gods. If you were to look at, get on the internet and look up uh, Greek mythology, you would find that they had a god for everything. Everything. That was their way of explaining. They had a sex god, Eros, where we get our word erotic. They had a, a, a god for uh, athletics, which is a kind of a god in the thing in our area and in and, and our country too, who ended up uh, was a, just a, a big strong man if he really existed that said later on became a god, Hercules. He was the, the, became the god of, uh, of strength and power and athletics. Um, they had a god for the weather, mentioning the rain, the, because that was the fertility god that provided food and also was a part of their sex life. Now, so they just had tons of gods that, there was, that would, they used to explain everything. It's into this that God says, look, I want to develop a people whose singular purpose for existing, well, it was twofold. Twofold purpose for existing is one, to show the people how foolish it is for what they're doing and what is the real, true, and the living God. And so he, he gave them the Ten Commandments. And, this, and in, in verse 7, 
of the book, fifth chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, it reads, and you shall have no other gods but me. Now, in some of the translations, it'll say before me, and that's, tre- that's created some, some real problems because some, some Bible trans- liberal Bible translators have said, well, it is the recognition that there are many gods, but you're only to worship the one. It doesn't say that at all. The Hebrew text simply means uh, none. Uh, you, you don't have. There's only one God, and that's the one you're to worship. Then he went ahead and said, "And don't make any images of anything that's been created. Nothing. Now, an idol is a image that represents something else." So don't make any images of birds, don't make any images of animals, don't make any images, period. And, and uh, that, that was very common. The uh, idol worship was very common. And so he, he goes into great detail to spell that out. And so the images are going to be a problem before we leave here. Because if we're not awfully careful, we can create an image of God that was not in the Bible. And being sincere Christians, we can do that even though our intentions were good. We, de- we can sometimes do things that are kind of silly. And I'm going to make the case for, before we leave here this morning, that we have in many instances done that we have created our own image of what God is like that is not in many instances the God that's revealed in the Bible the Bible says that and when you look in the fourth chapter of the book of God, of John the 24th verse Jesus is talking to someone here and he's saying that God is spirit which means he is not made out of stuff because all stuff is created God is eternal, so he's not made out of stuff. He's not created. He has always been. And all that exists, he created. Now, I've given you there are three, I think, three different uh, references uh, that where the Bible teaches this, this is the exact situation. God is uncreated, but all that exists, he created. And if you look carefully in the opening verses, of the Gospel of John, it says, "In the beginning was the Word, meaning Christ. In the many, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were created by Him, and without Him was not anything created that is." So God is clearly here's the Spirit who spoke everything into existence that is. Everything that exists. Is a creature is has been created by God Himself. Now this creates, uh, uh, even though that sounds fine and we buy into that, in the theological world where I live and have lived most of my life, it has created real divisions. Believe it or not, because within the church there is a a nasty, undeserved division among the Calvinists who believe that whatever will be, will be, whether it happens or not. And you have then those who, who, who say, no, 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 no. Not everything is predestined. We still have free choice. And, and I lean more toward the free choice than I do the, the, the Calvinists, even though some things are predestined. 
you read the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, it clearly says that some things were predestined, but not everything. So Israel came into existence, you know, to, to show the rest of the world who this spirit God is that has no representation, so you have to take him by faith. And the other reason they existed was to eventually create the situation where God's representative would come into the world. His name was Jesus. And the fullness of the Spirit of God was in him. He was God in the flesh to reveal to us who God is with some clarity. And uh, that... Uh, let me get back to the predestination thing just for a minute, simply because it has a tendency to be such a divisive thing in the church. Those who believe in total predestination, some of them are really good friends, by the way, uh, that everything is predestined. Those who believe that uh, have a tendency to think that those of us don't have a low view of God. And there's a lot of tension that goes on back and forth and back and forth. And it's really unfortunate because, you see, the Calvinists have a problem. If everything was predestined and everything that exists was created by God, then did God, did God create evil? Because evil exists. And if they're fully consistent, as some of them are, they fret they end up saying, you know, we got a problem here. And, uh, and I think they do have a problem there. Because God cannot, by definition of who he is, create evil. Even though, if, if they're fully consistent philosophically, and you see, John Calvin didn't come up with that. He just gets blamed for it. And... Uh, so he's the founder of the, the reformed religious things that we see all over the world. He was really a pretty good guy. Now, I, between Matt and I, I think we could straighten him out, but we didn't get a chance. He died before we got to him. So anyway, and at, at the same time, Martin Luther was also a priest in the, along with John Calvin, they were both priests in the Catholic Church. Both of them were. And I mean well educated priests in the Catholic Church. And they both had the same theological background. And, and it goes clear back to the 4th and 5th century when one of the great fathers of the church it, it wrote all of this down and, and, uh, and, and it created problems for the church even yet today. I, 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 I strongly believe in the unity of the body of Christ. We want to be a Bible church, but we, want to not, we don't want to be in any way called the only Christians. We just want to be Christians. That's all. And division in the body of Christ, according to the Bible, is a sin in itself. We have learned, the old guys on the frontier came up with some pretty good things. They said, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, love. I think it's a pretty good little saying that we probably should get in our head about the church.
Now, I've got to move on about this problem that we're facing here, but I needed to get this out. And I hope I haven't gone over your head. I haven't tried to, but it's a real problem within the church today. Now, so idolatry is the worship of something that's created. It can be a human because many of the, the rulers of Rome and Egypt in particular referred to themselves as gods and required worship. That's why the book of Revelation was written to address that subject in Rome. You take that out of the book of Revelation and there's just three chapters left. So the, the whole business here of getting straight in our mind, okay, idolatry is kissing our, giving our affection and our allegiance to something that the Creator has created rather than giving our affection to the Creator. So, so they just stop there and let's go on. Now, the Bible says that this type of worship of something created is totally worthless and a total waste of time. And it's very strong in saying that. However, idol worship can be very financially productive. If you look in the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, over in the, about the 19th chapter, you'll see that the Apostle Paul went to a town called Ephesus. And while he was there, he was preaching, there's only one God, and he revealed himself in Jesus Christ, blah, 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 blah. And the local, and, but the, the local religion was the worship of the goddess Diana. And, and there was a great big temple on top of a hill called an Acropolis where this great big temple was built and they had this real ugly idol. I'm telling you, world-class ugly. It was a big picture of a woman and hanging all over her body were bull testicles. Now, I, I, I think that's a tad crude, don't you? And, but they were selling silver images of that goddess and making tons of money. The Apostle Paul comes to town and says, that's, that's just a, a horrible waste of time. And the union, and that's really what it was, a guild, it's a union of silversmiths who made these little idols, formed, they, they actually got together and ran him out of town. The Apostle Paul... You know, the difference between the Apostle Paul and me as preachers, wherever he went, there was a riot. And where I go, they serve tea. You see the difference? And, and, uh, and I think part of that <laughs> has to do with some things that we've done wrong that I'll mention in a minute. So for the Christian, for the Christian, biblically, there's only one God who is the creator God. So everything goes back to Genesis. Everything. God created all that is and without and, and nothing exists that he didn't create. But we're talking about stuff here. And God isn't stuff. God is spirit. So that, that's how where we've gone so far. Taking all this time to get that far. <coughs> Idolatry in the Bible is referred to as both detestable and at the same time enticing. 
how can worship of anything other than God, the Creator God, be enticing? Because idol worship has always been an effort to justify the lusts of the lower nature of human beings. And we all have it, if we're honest. We all have thoughts that we know are wrong, but they come up. You see a classy chassis if you're a man. The thoughts you don't want to publish to your wife. That, and and I, I suspect women are just as bad, but I don't know how that works. And I'm afraid to say, because my first wife is here. How that goes. Anyway, so keep this in mind. Idol worship is worship of anything other than what the Bible says God is. Then we have to ask ourselves if it's both detestable and enticing. How is it enticing? Because idol worship appeals to our lower nature. It appeals to our desire for wealth. The health and wealth people in, that preach so successfully on television really are creating idol worship with their best intentions. I don't think they do it on purpose. I just think they're dumb in a box of rocks. And they found that religion is a really a good way to, to create wealth, and it is. They get tons of money. At one time, Jimmy Swaggart was, had, I think he said recently, a $60 million a year coming in. I could get by on that if I didn't tip too heavy. You know, and, and so I'm simply saying that idol worship has always been for the purpose of those who create it to bring benefits to the creator of idol worship. And they have used the Lord lusts of humanity to make it and say, it's okay, it's all right. Because money, it had to do with weather, fertility, sex, and so on and so forth, that, that is a, created by God, is beautiful and good and, and desirable, but can be horrible and ugly if it's misused. Now, I want to talk now about what we, how this, all of this talk I've gone through, how this affects you and me and the church of today. What's that got to do with what's going on today? As I told you earlier, I'm going to make the case as best I can for the fact that we, without any bad intentions, have created a false image of who Jesus really is. We have had a tendency because our desire, well intended, was to create big, strong, well-attended churches. And we all have agreed, well, that's a good thing. And I've justified that. Somebody asked me one time, before the church split here, we had, a, you know, pretty close to a 1,000 people all the time, a million-dollar budget and all that good stuff. You know, uh, why do you want a big church? I, and my convention was, because we can do a lot more. We can do a lot more good. We said, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And, um, and I thought to myself, well, I, and I was honest, and I think most of the people in large, and because if you, any of you all ever listen to the Senior Pastors podcast, this is something I was conned into. But 
You know, there, there's four of us there on that little thing that Matthew manipulates. Bob Russell has a church of about, he's retired now, uh, in Louisville of attendance around 25,000. I, I mean, there are more people get lost going to their church than show up here. Then there's, then Don Wilson in Phoenix had a church, and on one Easter they had 52,000. You know, I said, hey, Wilson, what, what was in, how much was in the bucket? He said, I ain't going to tell you. Because I tried to make a deal with both of them that we'd take one week of their offering and they could have ours for the year. And those narrow-minded people didn't take the deal. I, I don't understand it, but that's the way it works. Anyway, so we've created an image of Jesus who is meek and mild and he's just a, a, a lovey old grandpa that loves everybody. And he does. He does. And that's been, but is that the image of Jesus in the New Testament? Is there anything in the New Testament where it says, go out and, and build big churches and build? He said the kingdom of God was his subject. Now, he mentioned the church in, 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 in Matthew 16, 18. He mentions that, that he's going to build the church. But in, his, in the followers of Jesus, look how he handled them. And I want to take the next few minutes and talk about how Jesus handled that. And, and when, if I do it right, I think I will show you that we have mistakenly and sincerely and honestly created an image of him that's not biblical. Now, if we've done that, we've created an idol because we're worshiping something that's not biblical. And, and, and so many of us with the best of intentions have gotten sucked into it. So if I made you uncomfortable, good, because that's part of my job. Now, let's look at some scriptures. I know to make it easy, I wish you'd bring your Bibles, just for no other reason, just so I can say our church brings their Bibles. In the ninth, we'll stay in the book of Luke, just to keep it easy. And we'll go in the ninth chapter. I could stay here till midnight, but anyway, here's what I want to do. I want to show you how Jesus dealt with people who had said they want to follow him. I mean, they said they want to follow him. This is not something I'm imposing on anybody. I'm just taking Scripture at face value. And so let's look at, say, start at verse 57 in the ninth chapter of the book of Luke. Here's what it says. There were people walking along, and it said, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. Now, if we had someone to come here and say, hey, I want to follow Jesus and I'll do whatever, I'll go wherever, we would say what? Great, how can we help? I think we would say that. Let's see what Jesus said. Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What he was saying is, are you willing to give up your place of residence and sleep under a tree somewhere or hope some widow opens her home to you 
Are you willing to do that? In other words, he was saying, you better think about this because there's more involved than just trucking along behind me. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go home and bury my dad. Now look at this. We're talking about a guy who said, my dad just died and I want to go take care of his funeral. Jesus would say, we would say, would we not? Well, that's good. You ought to do that. You don't want to miss your daddy's funeral. Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Was there any encouragement here? Yeah, there was. But the deal here was, which is more important? Attending your daddy's funeral or preaching the kingdom of God? Still another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow, and by the way, I'm a farm boy, I understand this one, and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, I have friends in the theological world who will say, well, now Jesus was just using these as extreme examples, and I don't think he was. I think he meant just exactly what he said. What he was saying, plain out here, if there's anything you aren't willing to give up in order to promote and to preach the kingdom of God, you're not fit to be a preacher. Now, I'm not done. I'm just starting to build the case. What he was saying what we say, what we've done is we said, hey, come on in, come on in. We've got padded pews, we got air conditioning in the summer, we got heat in the winter, we got coffee and we got donuts and we sneak in some on a Saturday night every once in a while some cherry cobbler. I took it home with me. And, you know, what we have set up here with the best of intentions because we think. Uh, we, we have seen just get them in and everything is okay. And then we say, and if you'll just pray this little prayer, everything is hunky-dory. And Jesus says something totally different. What's he really saying? Let's keep on going. Let's go to the 14th chapter. Stay in the same book. Just, I've done that just to make it easy and simple. And go to the 25th chapter, verse rather, of the 14th chapter of the book of Luke. Now, honestly, I'm building the case, so I'm picking the scripture on purpose. In this case, the scripture starts, says this, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, somebody will look at this and say, oh, he, he was just exaggerating for effect. This is a, no, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. I can tell you in my own life a simple little thing here. When I was a junior in high school and we took all of these 
uh, California test that you had to take. I, I did pretty well, and I ended up getting a full ride at the University of Kentucky in, 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 in the field of, of electrical engineering. That's what I was going to take because of the scholarship. It's a full ride. My mother was really proud of that, and she, every time she got into a family situation, she got around to saying how, how smart her boys were, that she only knew. But anyhow, then my preacher and I were having conversations, Brother Bowers, on the side that she didn't know anything about, and we were talking about what it would look like if I entered the ministry and gave up that scholarship and went to Kentucky Christian College and they could help pay for it. And when I finally told my mother, Mom, I'm going, I'm going to be a preacher, I thought she was going to have a coronary rest. You're going to give up a full ride to become what would, could, could make you a wealthy person, blah, 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 blah. And you're going to pre And you know how we treat preachers? We ship them off every four years and think we've gotten rid of all of our troubles. And then we get in a new one and think everything's going to be all right. And four years later, we get rid of him too. And you want to get into that? I said, no, I don't want to get into it, but I'm afraid I have to. You see, we had... And then later on when I was in college, our dean of men, doc, uh, Dr. Wilbur Cunningham, set all of us preacher boys down and said, guys, is there anybody here who can do anything other, who can do well, anything other than preach? And some of them raised their hand. He said, then you better get out of here and go do that. Because if God has placed on your heart for you to go preach the kingdom of God and you do anything else, you're going to be miserable. You better obey what God has called you to do. So when you look at what Jesus says, and he wasn't through here. He was saying, now listen, he keeps, keeps going. And anyone who does not carry the cross, which is an instrument of death, and follow me cannot be my disciple. Jesus is saying, you better back off and see the cost before you get into it. If you keep on reading that text, he'll talk talking about the, the cost of discipleship. It can cost you your life. But that's okay. Because that's what he ended up saying. And, and so there will be tensions with your mom and your dad. My dad didn't say anything. Mother didn't give him a chance. That's just the kind of way it was at our house. Uh, she had oral diarrhea and daddy didn't say much anything unless we got off with him by himself. You do get family feedback. You do come under family stress. And Jesus was saying, that cannot be why you determined to preach the gospel and follow me. Well, you know, when he says... If you're going to follow me, you have to be. Now, here's the way I take that. I'm convinced that if there's anything in my life that I'm not willing to give up to preach the gospel, that I'm not willing, I'm not fit to preach it. I'm talking about anything. Anything. And Jesus is not done making his case. <coughs> 
if we go to the 18th chapter, verse 18 and following, we continue with the same situation. What he's saying here, folks, if you're going to be my representation, what was Israel chosen for? Israel was chosen for two things. To show the world who God is, the true and the living creator God, and number two, to prepare a bed for the, for the historical movement for the coming of the Messiah. And when they had finished that, their, their usefulness was over. Because now they were to go into all the world and preach the gospel. There's neither Jew or Gentile, bond or free, black, white, Asian, da da da. All that's worldly nonsense. There's just one people who all have their, you know, as my old professor used to say, if you're not related to them in Christ, you're related to them in Adam. We're all in the same family. Now here's the situation where we will look at what the scripture says and what we would do. A certain ruler, <coughs> excuse me, asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, Why do you call me good? No one is good, he said, except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And the guy said, hey, I've kept, I mean, this guy was a moral saint. He said, all of these I've kept since I was a boy. When Jesus heard this, he said, well, you just lack one thing. Now, this is going to be, you're going to have an itch you want to scratch here. He said, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And when you've done that, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. And then he went away. Jesus, that's when Jesus followed up by saying, if you keep on reading there, he used that illustration that all of you know. It's more difficult for a rich man to get into heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. In other words, what he was saying, if your money is more important than preaching the kingdom of God, you don't qualify. If there's anything, anything that stands that you treasure more than you do your relationship with God, you're in danger of idol worship. What would have happened here at church? Now think about this. <coughs> <laughs> this young man comes into the building here that everybody in town knows. He's got tons of money, and he comes and said, I want to be a Christian. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be a part of Christ Community Church. You know what we do? Bring him in. Bring him in. Introduce him. Let him sit on the front row. Let him sit wherever he wants to as long as he brings his checkbook with him. You know, we have a tendency, you see, to let the world influence what we think the kingdom of God is like rather than letting Jesus define it as he has in Scripture. And, th and then it becomes clear when he said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I'll take care of all this other stuff for you. 
we turn it upside down with the best of intentions. I don't think anybody, well, there may be a few greedy people who've helped do that, but I don't think most of us intentionally created this gentle Jesus, soft and fuzzy that we have created. He's gentle, but he ain't soft and fuzzy. He was a tough hombre. What we're looking at here, you see, comes dangerously close to a, to a church of the 20th century saying, at the expense of being totally biblical, we're willing to compromise in order to get numbers, comfort, and ease. We want to be comfortable, and we don't care how you get it. I say we have come dangerously close to creating a false image of who Jesus is. Jesus is demanding, not opening up for a vote. He is demanding that if you're going to follow him, that becomes the single most important issue in each of our lives. And everything that we do should be seen through the lens of putting Jesus first. You see, that's no different than what he wanted with Israel at the beginning. <coughs> and they were a miserable failure. They let the world influence them instead of them influencing the world. And so now he creates the church and we're doing the same silly thing. How will people view us as a people who are wanting to be known as followers of Jesus and sincere in that, but have put but, but comfort and ease and everything else above that commitment? It's important, the Bible says in Hebrews 10, for us to gather like we are now. He actually says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but, but more often than, as, as we see the end coming. Jesus actually appeared to be talking people out of great number of followers. That's the reason he said the road to salvation is narrow and hard and few there be that find it. And yet, we, with the best of intentions, have said, let's fill the building and let's do whatever we have to do to get full. And we measure our success not by how well we represent God, but by how full the building is and how much money is in the bucket. And what I'm pleading with you to do is to re-examine where you are. And how you view the kingdom of God in your life. Now, none of us qualify by just who we are. We 
have citizenship in the kingdom of God only by God's grace. We all know that. But that wasn't what he was saying. He was saying, guys, if there's anything, whether it's your family, your pocketbook, your relationships with other people, whatever it is, if any of those are more important than your relationship with God, then get it fixed if you want to be an effective follower of Jesus Christ. And you know what? I think he's spot on. And I think with the best of intentions, we've compromised that to our own fault. We have nobody to blame but ourselves because there is the, our lower nature says, I don't care what's going on. I want to be free from pressure and I want to live a life of comfort and ease and I'm going to use all of my influence to see that we can do that. And God is saying, if you think that's more important than I am, have at it, but you're not going to like the results. And I, I think, I personally think, that those of us who stand here and preach the gospel are held to a higher standard than you pew-sitters, or well, in your case, your comfortable chair-sitters. And I'm saying that all of us, I think, need to reevaluate. Are we wanting to be more comfortable in this life and possibly not getting to the next one? Are we willing to put God first in our life and have a guarantee of comfort in the second one? I vote for the second one. You know, the Bible actually says that people like you and me as followers of Jesus have anything in our life that causes people to stumble. We'd be better off to have a rock tied to a rope around our neck and pitched in the pond. It's really bad because our primary responsibility is to show everybody that's watching who God is and do it accurately according to the Scriptures. Now, the beauty is, in Scripture, is when you and I stand before God, those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ and said, Lord, we love you and we want to spend eternity with you. The Scripture says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Yeah. So when we have when we actually serve Jesus as the representation of the true and the living God and do it putting him before everything else, we will stand before God and hear well done good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy that I've prepared for you since the foundation of the world. Everybody else had better invest in asbestos. It's really that simple. So let's pray and, and, and let you go. And, and I, I hope and pray that you have taken what I have offered to you to help you live with a guarantee of eternal life without the fear of condemnation. 
And not that I'm trying to be mean-spirited, but I'll not back off of it because I think it's just exactly what the Bible teaches. So, Lord, I thank you for the rain that you've sent this morning that we desperately need. I thank you for the people who have come here and have sat and listened, and I pray, taken to heart what your word says. And help us to work together and encourage each other to seek first the kingdom of God. Because everything about us wants to be comfortable here and now. And that desire is so compelling that without the power of your Holy Spirit and the encouragement of our brethren, it will be so difficult for us. But, Father, we really do want to show our world, our family, our friends, who you are. So we pray that you will assist us as we try to help each other seek first that kingdom, that jewel, that priceless peril of the Scripture. Thank you, Lord, for your patience with us. And we pray for your encouragement, guidance in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're free to go. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.